0: Hello and welcome to another Trino Community Broadcast, episode 33 today with, as you can see, a whole bunch of guests from across the globe. And that's awesome. Uh, Brian, of course, my co-host is joining me again. And we're following up our last episode where we talked about a future-looking project, the project Tardigrade about ETL and Batch, with actual real-world usage today with our guests from Goldman Sachs. Welcome, everyone. Uh, Looking forward to hear all about what's happening.
1: Yeah, awesome. We're going we're really excited to uh, uh uh hear about uh um you know what's what y'all are doing at Goldman Sachs. Uh particularly and uh, we got an echo from somebody if uh if we could have the volume turned down just a little bit. <laughs> um so uh we we uh we have um you know interesting uh, uh kind of um uh, talk that we're going to do today. We haven't. We've done this, I think, before on a Trito meetup where we're talking about kind of how do you get your uh, cluster uh, readily uh, highly available and making sure that like uh, that that basically anybody who's using your system is going to trust it. Cause I think at the end of the day, you know, uh, we, we as data, uh, engineers and and administrators of these systems, we think about these things about like, Hey, I'm just going to set this up. It's a very clearly awesome system. Um, but from an end user perspective, it's very much, uh, that the, uh, visibility or the idea that a system is working well or something that they, uh, actually will use is, uh, usually kind of more biased by how much they trust the system. And that actually is very much affected by, is the system constantly available? Is the, is, is, uh, the result are the results consistent? And we know that Trino, you know, one of the biggest things that they, they addressed when it came to replacing Hive was that, you know, we're, we're getting correct results. And that was one of the very first things that, uh, that Martin, Dana, David set out when they created Presto. Right. But, um, but now, you know, uh, there's this whole other set of challenges that uh, many people in the community, including uh, our guest today, Goldman Sachs, uh, have have addressed. Which is, how do we make sure that Trino is up? You know, that in that same level of, of what we're expecting with like cloud services, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, right? Like some something that you'll expect with S three or any other kind of um, uh, any other kind of. Uh, uh, um, I'm hearing that echo again. <laughs> um so uh so basically uh yeah if you if you have um that uh uh basically i lost my train of thought (laughs) when i hear the echo you ever have that moment where you're like just like hearing yourself talk back and then like you start listening to yourself and you're it throws you off anyways so um uh, so yeah, so the the basic thing is, uh, you know, we, high availability has become a much more important thing as, as Trino starts getting wider adoption. And so uh, these fine folks today here are going to talk about, you know, how they made that happen uh, internally at Goldman Sachs. So uh, let's start out with you, Sumit. Uh, would you like to tell us uh, kind of who you are and what you do and, and, uh, and within the team and uh, kind of, you know, uh, pass off, you can pass it off to whoever you want after.
2: Sure. Uh, hello, everyone. Like, you know, I work as a, uh, my name is Sumit. I work as a VP in um, Goldman Sachs. Um, uh, we are part of uh, the business platform engineering team uh, in Goldman. We, uh, we solve uh, kind of, you know, various data processing problems for our data teams, right? So that's what uh, we are responsible for. Uh, I have been with Goldman uh, for around um, 11 plus years, right? And I'm really excited to to be here.
3: It's
0: great to have you. Looking forward to see about your experience. How about you, Ramesh? What are you doing at Goldman
4: with Sumit? Hey, hey. uh, Thanks for having me here. I'm uh, very excited to be part of the show. So I'm working as a vice president for uh, data platform, a business platform engineering. So, so I mean, uh, I'm mainly looking at uh, uh, orchestration, orchestration and availability. And uh, uh, like um, my my main expertise lies in building the data platforms and Park and Hadoop and all
1: Yeah, and we're going to be talking a lot about that, diving into that scalability factor here uh, in this episode. So thanks for coming on, Ramesh. Uh, Sidant, <clears throat> would you want to go next?
5: Hi, guys. So I'm Sidant. I'm an associate at Goldman Sachs and I've been working here for about two years now. Uh, I primarily work with Sumit to build super awesome and innovative data solutions for our business users. <laughs> and super excited to be here.
0: Awesome. awesome. And, and of course, we've heard about Suman already, who of times. constantly works on Elasticsearch And Whenever Brian raves about Elasticsearch Connect, <laughs> he secretly <laughs> talks about Suman working with him. So Suman, say hi.
6: Hi. Uh, myself, Suman. Uh, I'm working as Vice President at Goldman Sachs. So I've been assisted with Goldman Sachs for close to two years. Uh, thanks for the invitation and to be part of this uh, broadcast. Excited to be here.
1: Yeah, so so typically, if uh, if I don't have the latest uh, memory of what we have going on in the Elasticsearch connector, uh, if you're in asking me questions about Elasticsearch, Suman's my my next person to tag and say, "Hey, Suman, I don't have time to look into this. Could you help me out?" <laughs> so yeah. um, awesome. I'd like to help. Yeah, always, always, you're you're such a great help. So um, with that, uh, before we hop into uh, the wonderful topics that we're about to cover in the show, uh, let's go real fast to a quick uh, message from our sponsor, Starburst.
7: I'm Colleen Tarto, I am the Director of Engineering on Starburst
1: Galaxy. What is it actually offering? So, I mean, I, I think this kind of like builds on some of the open source Trino stuff, but oh. is it doing a lot more? Uh, what what kind of pains is it solving? Could you kind of uh, uh, give us a little bit of insight on on what actual pain this is going to be uh, uh, alleviating?
7: Yeah, absolutely. And so to, to think about that, I always like to go back and think about what's the difference between Starburst Enterprise and Trino, right? And so I always like to think of Starburst Enterprise as the cool older sibling to Trino. It's a little bit more mature, a little cooler. It's got a it's got a car. It's got yeah. some cool stuff going on, leather jacket, you know? Um, and Trino is awesome in its own right, don't get me wrong, but Starburst Enterprise is just better and a bit more grown up. And specifically what that means to me is that with Enterprise, you get more. You get more functionality, faster performance, more connectors, more security, better management, better integration into the ecosystem of tools that you already use today, data governance, integration, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what really speaks volumes to me is that when you use Starburst Enterprise, you get Starburst, right? You get best in class support from the folks who work for us and they know Trino best because they created Trino and they're continu- continuing to contribute to Trino. Um, but Starburst Galaxy takes that to a whole nother level, right? So. One of the pain points is installing, managing, maintaining, monitoring Starburst Enterprise. And so Starburst Galaxy alleviates all that, right? So it's um, a fully managed service. It's Starburst Enterprise as a managed service and more.
1: And one last question, is uh, there gonna be any free offerings coming up anytime soon? Is that on the road?
7: Absolutely, we're building out, we've got a free trial. Um, so, if you're interested, absolutely reach out to us. We are very excited about it. Um, and then we're talking about sort of a free tier. So, like being able to just play around with it in your own environment and see what's what.
1: We'll keep you all uh, up to date on when you can start to play around with Galaxy and Trino uh, for free for just a little bit and uh, get to know this incredible service called Starburst Galaxy. Thank you so much, Helen. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, Manfred, we've had, I mean, now that we're going to these like month to month uh, type of show show free, uh, frequencies, I feel like we're, we're getting to this point now where we're got we're to have like uh, three or four uh, releases, especially now that we're picking up the release cadence and slowing down the broadcast cadence. So uh, tell us all that's been going on and, uh, you know, with 369, 370 and give us a little bit of a sneak peek about what's about to land in 371 in a day well, or
0: two. It- you know, no sneak peeking here. It's out. <laughs>
1: oh, <laughs> just get out. So we'll have to update this before we actually post these show notes. But tell us, tell us all about the uh, the three now uh, uh, releases that have landed.
0: Yeah, the maintainers have been working very hard on getting the cadence improved uh, with like uh, PR templates, so that you get all the relevant information. To create the release notes, and of course the quality on our on our builds has been improving quite a lot, so um, it's, it's quite stable, and we can basically release whenever we want, close to, and um, we want to do that now pretty much weekly. We'll see how this works out, but that's the aim. So in, in an ideal world, with the Trinacommut. The broadcast going every month. We'll soon have maybe four releases, but we did manage three this time. With three seventy one literally being pulled uh, last night, um, so the binaries are available uh, and the website is updated. But I didn't get the announcement uh, notes from from team just yet. The last sort of like highlights, but the release notes are live, and uh, I've included some of the points below. So nice. what happened in three sixty nine? Um, project Tardigrade is live and kicking. Uh, so we got the experimental support for the task level retries in, um, other related changes made it into 3.7 and 3.71 as well. We got support for, uh, groups in all auth claims. So that's very important for uh, like more advanced security setups where your rights of what you can do actually are related to. OAuth, uh, like to groups rather than tied to individual people, right? Like if you run at scale, you need to use groups. So that now works with OAS, which is really cool. We got column comments on clicker, on the ClickHouse connector. The ClickHouse connector generally has a lot of uh, stuff going on at the moment. Ui you, is you working on that quite a lot. So that's that's pretty amazing. Uh, we got bloom filters in org files now supported. So um, it's, it's a property that you have to enable, but then you can get the... Uh, uh, sort of statistics uh, and range information out and bloom filters will uh, improve the performance then. Nice. We got procedures for optimizing iceberg tables. So with a system call, you can now optimize iceberg tables directly from Trino. So you don't need to go out to some other system to manage that. Those are the highlights for 369 from Martin. For 70, we got the CLI support working out uh, for ARM64 processes. Why is this important? Well, because some of those darn developers are now using those new Macs that have the ARM processes (laughs) and they found that it didn't actually work. Um, It was just a little library that we're actually using for command line parsing and we got that updated. So now you can use your Trino CLI to connect and query Trino stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Performance on org was improved for maps and row types was improved. And then the OAuth 2 authentication, we also got some latency fixes in. Yeah, I've uh, seen a
1: lot more chatter about OAuth two and uh, Slack recently. Uh, not yeah. just about the latency, but they, I think more people are try- starting to adopt it, and we're finding, therefore, with more adoption comes more problems, and 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 I guess more people to find problems, and so it's uh, it's great. I love that when we start seeing these uh, fixes come through.
0: Yeah, it gets more and more solid essentially from more and more usage and yeah. um, more uh, like of those identity providers will work. And then they all like, you know, they all follow the standard, but they don't really. So there's always a little bit of a tweak here yeah. and there you have to configure it a little bit differently, but it's it's really good. Uh, Trinity uh, as I mentioned, I don't have any highlights as such. The release notes are live, but a couple of things, Patrick, for example, uh, recently contributed the uh, resource manager with, with database backed. And so now these files um, also support secrets in the configuration. And there's a couple other improvements there. Um, and then there are a whole lot of other things that I wanted to mention that are important. So um, that Postgres and Oracle-based uh, backend for resource groups is com- came in, in I think, 369. And then in 371, it was improved some more. Um, we, we moved a few properties, so specifically spill order by and spill window operator. Those are like, they used to be experimental properties for spilling to disk. Um, those got removed. They're not necessarily anymore because the internal sort of workings are automated. Uh, and then query max total memory per node got removed. Uh, if you're setting that, that will uh, be ignored. There's, a not, there's the other uh, max total, max memory per node that's, takes that into account. So we basically just got rid of the distinction between system and uh, and heap memory. So don't need to worry about that. Um, nice. We got ultra materialized view set properties in the engine. So we're going to get that into the connector soon, but at least the engine supports that now. So you can't really test that yet or use it yet. Um, there was some uh, hang. Uh, the new phased execution policy had some uh, scenarios where it was used to hang. We got rid of that. Uh, renaming schemas now works in PostgresQL and Redshift connectors, which is really cool, right? Like actually like moving things around, not just like pretending the name is different. Um, Clickhouse connector, as I mentioned, had a lot of improvements. So you need to look at the release notes. There's literally a couple of lines each. The iceberg connector had uh, has now a properties table associated to each table. So you can find the iceberg properties for every table by querying table name, dollar properties. And also thanks to Marius, we have a documentation in the iceberg connector on a whole bunch of these uh, metadata tables in the iceberg connector, which is really useful. Um, the RPM package had a nice little tweak that the U limit. So the file size, the number of files allowed in the operating system is now automatically updated if it is too small, because that can actually cause, um, Trino not to work. And it's kind of like a hidden thing when that happens. So it's kind of hard to tell. Um, the Docker image is changed to UBI. So this is uh, the replacement for CentOS uh, because CentOS is no longer supported. UBI is the universal base image also from the Red Hat slash CentOS folks. Um, it's a bit smaller. So if you're using the Docker images, you need to find out what's going on there or check it out. Because if you are used to sort of like running tools on the Docker container, some of those might not be there or might be different. So check that out. If you're just doing proper container usage from the outside, then you'll be fine. Uh, And it'll be a bit smaller and faster. Now, a very important change is the the allow drop table catalog property that was in a lot of connector, in a lot of JDBC-based connectors. So Postgres, Oracle, SQL Server, MySQL, that property is gone. Mm. So um, it was always kind of like a legacy weird setup where a property determines that rather than the security setup. so we, we got rid of that property. So if you still want to lock that down, um, you need to use a system access control. Um, the, the result is now that if you used to have a loud drop table set to true, and then that's now the default. So for those people that's not an issue, but if you had it supported, if you had it set in the past to false, well the new default behavior is true. So you need to lock it down. So depending if you want to allow drop table or not, um, that changes. Um, The SBI got a whole bunch of changes. And then uh, DML in the iceberg connector now is uh, fault tolerant. So there's uh, the fault tolerant mode now. And specifically on the iceberg stuff moving forward quite a bit, that's cool. And the tardigrade improvements
1: are related to that and others. Are most of those SPI changes related to tardi- like adding in tardigrade features? And No, there's okay.
0: also some authorization ones of ah. like a can check table and stuff like that. There's a, a couple of ones. Some of them are tardigrade related, but others are also all of them are pretty pretty low hanging fruit though. So if you have a custom plugin and you need to adapt, it's probably pretty easy to just adjust. Yeah. Um,
1: most of the time, it's backwards compatible for for most of those. Uh, yeah, a lot of those, <laughs> those when, when,
0: when they're initial ones, right? Yeah. One of them was a was a sort of breaking one, but only in the use case where you use that property We're passing mm-hmm. another context in, but no, not nothing, nothing major. And right. then, kudu, we dropped support for one thirteen one on the ClickHouse connector. One one of the changes by the boss was that we support that we removed support for Altinity twenty point three because. What happened is we had to upgrade to supporting a newer version and that dropped support for the old version.
3: <laughs> mm, fair
0: so enough. It happens sometimes. So lo- lots is happening. And um, if you are wanting to upgrade to one of those versions, go for 371 actually, because there were also some correctness features with like super high precision decimal numbers that was fixed in 371. So if you have awesome. a choice, latest is the greatest.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And, and I know a lot of uh, people have been asking me, and I wanted to specifically address this because everybody's looking for uh, more and more, more iceberg uh, changes coming up. And we promise you they're, they're coming. Um, there's a, a couple more that are lan- going to be landing in these next couple of releases. Uh, we're working right now a lot with uh, Jack Yee from AWS. Uh, he He has particularly a lot of those coming in. So I've been getting just, uh, a lot that that's been the particularly like top order question that's been asked to me is like, when are we supporting V two So, uh, so, so Jack, uh, if if any of you who who do know him, he's, he's a fantastic, uh, engineer from, from AWS and he's helping us out. Uh, he created a lot, some stuff, some functionality around insert, uh, for, for V2 Iceberg, as well as, um. Updates and delete. So, so uh, those are are being actively worked on right now, and uh, I believe that we obviously and we can never promise one hundred percent when when it comes to these things, but but uh, those should be on the horizon very shortly. At least update delete. I think are are getting very close. So. Yeah, when when it comes to interesting
0: new upcoming developments, I think one thing that's super awesome is that Starburst is contributing the Starburst Delta Lake connector to Trino. So. Yeah. Full read, write, everything, support, Delta Lake, if you're on that platform, uh, connector is on the way, the PR is ongoing, I'm going to be writing and adopting the docs over but this is coming so that should be super exciting. We see that the Delta Lake connectors used a lot in uh, Starburst Enterprise and that's coming to Trino so
1: yeah, that is really exciting. Especially, you know, there's a lot of people that want to be able to kind of use Databricks or Delta Lake or, you know, even open source Delta Lake and be able to have that interoperability between like let's say they want to start trying out iceberg or they want to start uh, you know, merging data there with uh using Trino to oring well, uh, both, right? Like whatever, exactly. like
0: you have some legacy setup or so.
3: It's really cool. Yeah
1: yeah cool all right well uh that uh does it for the the release notes unless you had anything else to add before we head on to the next oh now let's head on to the concept of the week (laughs) all right i mean the month the month concept of the month (laughs) (laughs) the the weeks (laughs) the weeks (laughs) the weeks (laughs) um so uh so this um uh month this uh episode we are going to be uh covering um in general the concept is is high availability we're gonna actually you know go through a very tangible example of that uh with Goldman Sachs uh kind of uh all of the interesting things we have here so so um you know there's all these kind of uh use cases around you know why people want to use Trino and so I'm I'm not going to try to steal too much thunder but uh there's you know there's things like uh and and by the way i I'd, I'd heard of this before i've heard of last mile ETl but I had never actually like dug into it until literally right before this episode uh and I was like I knew that it was kind of like it makes sense right it's the last last uh part portion of ETl so it's kind of like you know replacing that uh that last little bit of of um you know, data lake style, you do, you've done all the EL part and you're doing a couple more tra- tra- uh, uh, transformations before the data is basically ready to be uh, pushed out to in, in the form that users are expecting, uh, on, on some sort of, let's call it a data mart or data product type side, depending if you're using data warehousing or data mesh terminology. And so, uh, so these types of, uh, queries, you know, a lot of times are, are difficult because you're you're still having to run this ETL. It's, it can get really slow, uh, when you have to basically tell the user, oh, you need it in this format. You need it done this way. Well, we have to run these couple pipelines beforehand. And of course that, that type of, uh, that type of uh, use case gets much more uh, accelerated when you're using something like Trino. So, uh, so I'm going to pick on, uh, Sumit, could you kind of give us the, the background, uh, without me butchering, uh, your, your particular use cases, uh, too much, uh, about, you know, what kind of drove, uh, the adoption for Trino, uh, and, and the kind of, uh, um, necessity for, for bringing Trino into your ecosystem. And then, you know, once you had it landed, what kind of grew that that uh, you know that that um, necessity larger and, and made you maybe other extra use cases that may have uh, expanded that uh, from from the initial one. Oh, and Sumit, you're on mute. Sorry, Thought I'd let you. Yeah. Oh, still oh, on mute. There you okay, go. Okay, can you hear me? Yep, can hear, yeah, you. Can hear you.
2: Okay, awesome. So, uh, so like you know. Uh, as you all know, right, like uh, as any organization, like, you know, we deal with various type of data sets, like, you know, uh, to give an example, we, we, uh, we deal with uh, data sets like, you know, transactions, valuations, a um, uh, lot of kind of, you know, refer- accounts and products reference data, right? And all these data sets based on, like, which application it is associated with uh, get stored into kind of, you know, multiple, uh, uh, multiple, uh, like, you know, different data sources, like. Few can be uh, something like, um, uh, HDFS storage, like file-based storage, HDFS S three, or or some something like RDBMS, or mm-hmm. some um, some document stores, right? Like you know uh, the the ones that we mentioned, like Mongo, Elastic, right? Now the problem that we faced, or the the, the problem our users were facing, was like you know how do we uh, how do they kind of go ahead and kind of access that data which is residing in multiple different um, stores. Right, so that was kind of a uh, the problem that we were facing, right? And um, as you mentioned, like right, um, uh, the obvious solution, every like you know, but that that we have been doing was the last mile right? So the idea was to kind of you know pull in all this data to one place and give our users access to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, the problem with that is. Uh, ETLs are very costly, right? And and also, like, you know, when users are starting, uh, like, you know, started exploring the data set, they don't even know at that point of time what data sets make sense for them, right? So they're just browsing through the data. And mm-hmm. for that, setting up an uh, ETL is kind of a overkill because yeah. setting up a pipeline on a or an or a ETL uh, uh, needs a lot of kind of, you know, time to stabilize, make sure that they run every day, and once they have run, you have to do reconciliations, right, to make yep. sure that the data has like moved from point A to point B, right. And after that, you have to do break analysis and even fix it, right. Yep. So that, yep. that's yep. that's a very costly affair, right. Yep. And we wanted to see, like, you know, if we can do something different, right. And then uh, kind of, you know, uh, have the same functionality, make uh, make uh, make this data available to our users by reducing or by like, you know, avoiding uh, the last mile ETL, right? Yep. That was one. The other point was like, again, interacting with these multiple data sources needs different ways of of, of accessing the data, right? Uh, And and that becomes a bit of problem. And and it's it's a kind of a learning curve for our users to learn new ways to access data. Yeah. We wanted to give them something like a common language, which they already know, like something like a SQL, to access that data sets, right? So it makes life easier for everyone, right? Uh, and the third one was kind of, you know, how we can make, uh, allow them to kind of, you know, do, cro- do cross-reference across data sources, right? Yeah. How do they analyze data across data sources, right? So some kind of federated joint, right? Yeah. What we realized very quickly, right, like, you know, unless and until you are doing this cross uh, data source kind of, you know, uh, lookups or like, you know, uh, joins. Uh, like you know it's very difficult to derive insights out of it right yeah so that was kind yeah. of uh, uh, the main reasons for us to kind of you know start looking for uh some solutions like like trino of course
1: Fair enough. and so so you you now uh have all these problems um and i'm actually kind of curious you know where, where did Tree, who brought trino to the to the table first uh cuz you know we're we're looking at uh something like this and uh it's it's incredibly far far along now and so yeah i'm just kind of curious to hear about the origin story of of uh, where where this all started
2: uh yeah so so we were kind of you know uh, like you know we 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 knew our uh, knew the problem statement we knew knew our use cases and we were kind of looking for what Solution best fits for like, you know, uh, for, for those use cases. Right. Yeah. and That's when we started looking into Trino. Right. So here I want to take a, like, you know, uh, uh, the opportunity to say like, thank you to the Trino community, because when we started out, right, we we, we had a lot of questions, right? Like, you know, yeah. how this will work, what, what will work, what will not work, right? And that's when we started interacting with the community and we got uh, amazing response. Like, I don't think there were any questions which were not answered. Right. So yeah. that also gave us a lot of um, kind of you know uh, 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 like you know um, uh, confidence uh, with 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 uh, with the product right and the, and we decided to bring this in in Goldman ecosystem right yeah, uh, yeah. The, the the first challenge right that we faced uh, was like you know to how we integrate uh, Trino into our uh, ecosystem right yeah um, and then that's when we we started kind of you know interacting more with the uh, with the community and, uh, and and we felt that it was quite easy because uh, Trino gives you all those hooks to uh, to connect uh, to various systems, uh, say from like you know query auditing to authorization systems and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So um, so that was quite uh, quite easy. Uh, the second part, right? Before I come down to this uh, this diagram, right? Uh, the other part that the other challenge that we had in our uh, that we wanted to solve was how do we integrate Trino into our multi-tenant architecture, right? So yeah. the space that we work with, we try to kind of isolate resources based on tenants, yeah. right? And, and that's when we started thinking that how will Trino fit into this picture? Yeah, right?
1: yeah, um, yeah it's, so- one thing, it's one thing to be, you know, you have a, a set of, uh you know, use cases that you have, you validated those use cases, you know, the kind of like, functionality is there, but how do we make sure that the scale will, you know, essentially at scale, this is going to perform and that we are able to make this across, you know, all of our, especially if this could potentially have the, uh, Trino has the potential to scale up across an entire entire organization, you know, how do we make sure that this is going to be something that is constantly working, again, having that kind of confidence that uh, your end users will have that they the same thing they would expect from like a cloud offering. So that's a whole separate challenge.
3: Yes, yeah.
2: So another thing uh, that I wanted to add, Brian, here is like uh, the way you said, right? Like, how do we make uh, our clusters kind of you know uh, highly available or like, and then with adoption, right? You get this responsibility of managing this cluster, right? Oh yeah. So we wanted to be upfront about that, right? So we wanted to make sure that before even we start, we we, uh, we 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 take care of few of the basic things, right? Yeah. So uh, so we we took a step back and then we started thinking like you know what are those items that we wanted uh, to be there, right? So uh, one was scaling, right? Second was like you know high availability. Third was resource isolation, and then uh, I think the fourth one uh, uh, was like you know zero de- downtime deployments. Yeah. Right? So those were like you know few of the constraints that we kind of you know set for ourselves. Uh, to to kind of, you know, uh, uh, to to design this stuff, right? Now, uh, like with that, right, like this is something that we landed on, right? Uh, This is like, you know, again, uh, our current kind of, you know, uh, the architecture and it's ever uh, evolving, right? So as and when things happen, we we kind of, you know, uh, this evolves, right? So, but at this point of time, like I would like to kind of uh, very briefly explain a few of the components here. Right before uh, Ramesh can go dive, we'll go dive uh, deep dive into uh, kind of uh, the, the 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 routing logic, right? That we cool. have uh, cool. we have we have uh, implemented, right? So just a quick question. Can can I just
0: interject quickly? Uh, when sure. you are saying resource isolation and multi-tenancy, are you actually saying that different users will have sort of like separate data sources and separate access and like maybe separate clusters that are like like in your data platform, it's literally separated for different groups, having different stuff, like different resources and stuff.
2: That's true. That that's like, uh, that's true. Right. So, so we wanted to kind of, you know, have so so we have tenants based on groups or it can be anything. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's a, it's it's a, it's a collection of like, you know, users or, or use cases or, or, or anything like that. Right. So, so how we isolate, their workload with someone else's, right? Some other tenants' workload, right? So that is that's. So your your
0: platform is serving the needs of many groups with diverse needs, basically. Correct, exactly. That's, that's yes. impressive.
2: Right? Yeah. So um, so uh, like you know, if if you see this diagram, like like I will just be very quick. Like on the left hand side, it talks about like what are the clients our users use to connect to Trino. Um, The right-hand side are the various data sources uh, or the the catalogs that we have. Uh, The below one, like the common services. So so these, they become the kind of operational backbone for our clusters, right? So we need these common services to manage our clusters, right? So one is metadata service, which um, I think Ramesh will uh, explain in details at the uh, the later, uh, later part, right? Other than that, you have the authorization system, uh, right, like the the credential store uh we have the query audit right so where we kind of you know store all the queries uh, that gets fired uh, and and then we derive kind of you know uh, uh, like you know we, we figure out like you know what kind of queries are, are being run and then uh, get statistics out of it right mm, nice uh, so 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 these uh, so these uh, common services are are really important for us to manage the cluster So um, now coming down to the picture here, right? Like, you know, uh, I don't want to spend much time. Uh, One one, uh, thing that I want to kind of, you know, explain here is the concept of cluster groups, right? So this is a core uh, concept that I want to explain and why we went ahead with it, right? So cluster group is nothing but a a logical namespace, right? Which which has like, you know, multiple child clusters in it. So in this example, if you see, you have child cl- ch- uh, cluster group A, which has child clusters A1, A2, and A3, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So they become a group called as cluster group.
1: It, and when you say namespaces, are you kind of, I'm g- assuming this is like Kubernetes namespacing capable, like, or is this uh, something totally different?
2: It, it's totally different. This is oh, like, okay. you know, our custom namespacing, our model okay. of how we want to kind of, you know, uh, have the uh, the cluster set up. Fair enough. Setup,
1: right? Fair enough.
2: Okay. Now. Okay. So, uh, now, so now what happens is like whenever a query comes or like you know any any load comes or any request comes, we we kind of you know route that query or the load to one of the cluster groups, right? So uh, that is again like you know uh, we will discuss later in detail, right? So with for based on some mapping, we go and we we will kind of you know uh, direct it to one of the cluster groups. Mm-hmm. So when the when the load uh, like you know uh, comes to uh, like you know uh, a cluster group, we distribute that load between the child clusters, right? Yep. So in this case, if you take the cluster group A, uh, uh, the queries uh, which are which are coming for cluster group A will be distributed between clusters A1, A2, and A3, right?
0: Mm. so is that on uh, a per user basis or like like it doesn't it have to stay sticky though like for a user and that's it, that's session? a very yeah like,
2: yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> good question <laughs> it's a very good question and we will cover that right i, I think we'll awesome. we cover that at the end of it right? awesome so that was one of the main challenge that we faced for for this right so we will we will will kind of explain that right Great. but few things that that this cluster group concept helps us with one is scalability right so say uh, there is too much load coming for cluster group A, I can add another child cluster, right? So what it happens is that load gets distributed between multiple child clusters, right? So that way, loads get uh, kind of, you know, uh, distributed and we can sail uh, horizontally, right? That is one thing. Second thing is we make sure that our child clusters are in different data centers, right? So if, if something happens to one of the clusters, child clusters, we still have other uh, clusters in the other data centers to serve the request, right? So that kind of, you know, uh, gives us that high availability at all times, right? And the third most important one, like and which we face on a day-to-day basis is uh, uh, the maintenance, right? Any maintenance of any child cluster. So what we can do is if, say, A3, we want to bring down for maintenance, we can inactivate it. So what happens is once we inactivate A3, all the new requests, will get distributed between only A1 and A2, right? Mm-hmm. Then we can bring down A3 once it has drained, all the requests have drained, do the maintenance, bring it up and add it, uh, add it to the uh, cluster group, right? And it automatically starts kind of, you know, uh, uh, load balance between uh, and
1: the I, I guess we're going to be probably be covering this in the next section, but uh, yeah. but I want to ask the question just in case. Like, it, so how how uh, basically all of that information about what's up, what's down, the stat- different statuses across all the cluster groups and all the different uh, clusters is all going to be maintained in that kind of Envoy slash distributed cache segment, right?
2: Yes. So we okay. have this metadata service, like which is kind of you know our uh, which which manages all the cluster mappings and all the information which is required to make the decisions right? okay uh, so so that's how we do it but yeah in the later sections like and i think we will we'll, we'll explain more uh, sounds great uh, yeah
1: okay so it uh, was that uh and anything else you wanted to add to that before we no, i think like
2: you know this is uh, like you know I, I want to kind of um, uh, if we can go to the next section and then uh, Ramesh can you uh, uh, kind of you know uh, help us understand um, uh, I think the, uh, the dynamic query routing and the components
1: okay great uh, so so yeah uh, Ramesh let me pull you up here so that and then uh, Sumit I'll keep you on here and just put you on mute for a second then uh, why don't uh, Ramesh you you kind of cover uh, so so correct me if I'm wrong this is so this is dynamic query routing we have the cluster groups here in relation to this, right. that's kind of what we're seeing here. And then we have yeah. these envoy routers over over here. Mm-hmm. That's that's these two pieces in the in the diagram. Uh, and then a distributed cache. This is per, this beta manager is this metadata service. Is that correct?
4: Yeah, that's That's Okay, like, that, okay. That's like fantastic.
1: That. So now I just wanted to do a, a quick mapping from one diagram to the other, so that uh, anybody who who uh, might be confused by that uh, would would understand. Okay, so so how do so you're going to explain to us kind of like you know uh and by the way uh Sumit you did a great job at, at kind of explaining what what were uh what setup you had and what kind of uh the components were uh Ramesh could you tell us a little bit about you know how that how that that's all achieved like how does uh a when you submit a request how, do, how does it know hey mm-hmm. we can't submit to this cluster right now because it's currently mm-hmm. being uh taken down for uh, an upgrade or or it's got some issues so where it's something's getting replaced or or something like that how how does how, how do we keep track of all of the chaos that's going on in this uh, and I don't want to call it chaos but the but the very dynamic nature of this environment how's that captured yeah uh, yeah all right so
4: l- let me let me uh, give us some few motivations behind uh, how did we arrive at this uh, setup okay so okay. so so if you look at our infrastructure we have this uh, more number of small clusters instead of a one big giant cluster right so i will mm-hmm. tell you why it makes more sense to us and uh, like so we ultimately what we wanted to achieve is we, we wanted to limit the blast radius in such a way that one tenant is completely isolated from the other tenant right so so we ended up creating a, like kind of a dedicated cluster for each of these uh, different tenants and uh, so for some uh, set of use cases and uh, as well as for uh, uh, like you can think of uh, it can be one for a testing use case Right, so we ended up building like more and more uh, clusters for individual use cases, and then we even have added uh, some of the redundant clusters in each of these groups to make sure that if some outage happens, then uh, we will fall back. Uh, right, so so the, the, uh, and then there is this other reason uh, why we wanted to like uh, kind of like uh, we had a more more clusters is we wanted to differentiate between different kinds of workloads. see have a batch workload, long running, long long-living queries was the sub queries uh, metadata queries which are, or, or interactive queries which are uh, 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 coming from dashboards <coughs> right so it, it's impossible for uh, anyone to uh, like uh, uh, balance or tune the cluster for both of the workloads or we don't want our subsequent queries to wait for a uh, uh, long-running queries to finish right mm. so that's why we started thinking towards like uh, we are uh, like uh, so there is this new challenge at the time. So, how do our users connect to this uh, kind of setup, right? So, how do they seamlessly connect to this new new setup, right? So, so that's when we thought, uh, like, we we started thinking in the direction of uh, we have to have a kind of a discovery service, mm-hmm. which is intelligent enough to uh, make sure that which user has to go to which cluster and uh, make the maximum utilization of the resource and
1: none of the clusters are idle.
4: So uh, are
1: certain Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to, I, I want to quickly cut you off for just a second to say, like, are different cluster groups getting different size of workloads? Are, are you kind of designating certain cluster groups for different workload types? Uh, or, or is this kind of, uh, if you make <clears throat> this request or you start to sense that the queries are these larger or longer running queries that are more resource intensive, do you have? To, does, does the system is the system able to kind of adapt and figure out on its own? We need more uh, nodes brought up in uh, for in this cluster group because we need to essentially be able to adapt for for a newer workload that's coming in, which is heavier, much more resource intensive queries. Um,
4: yeah, yeah. If you look at uh, different kinds of workloads, right, the batch workload uh, will be having a, like a kind of like different setup versus uh, interactive queries. So we wanted to separate that and then in such a way that uh, this this is kind of like capacity plan before we start dedicating a new cluster.
1: Is the cluster group like let's say is cluster group two kind of like the cluster that handles all the big? you know, the, or the cluster group that handles the larger queries? Or is that like a static setting? Or is there something more dynamic going on there? So, yeah, so
2: well, Brian, um, so what, so, so the way we do it is like, you know, it, it is something like based on the application and based on the users, like, you know, we we, we figure out what are their, like, you know, requirements. If we yeah. see that this is one application which is coming, this is going to kind of, you know, uh, like, you know, uh, throughout the day, uh, like you know, file queries, uh, we don't want to mix that workload with, Say a ad hoc uh, query or analytic kind of use case where yep. uh, the guy, yep. like the, the, the user who wants to just fire some queries throughout the day will get bogged down by uh, this application which is kind of you know continuously firing queries right. So at that point of time, it makes sense for us to 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 kind of separate those two workloads right, two okay. different cluster groups.
1: And that's so the, happening dynamically based on the like statistics that you're pulling from these queries. Is that
2: so so that is not like dynamic there. So we map those users to that cluster group. Typically.
1: Oh, okay. So that's it's it is, it is a much more kind of like this user uh in in traditionally or or upfront has requested, hey, I need these yeah. resources and uh, map me to map me to the big cluster, you know, is kind yeah. of what so, so, yeah, okay. so
2: that happens during the onboarding process when we figure out what kind of application it is, what will be their requirement, can we kind of you know co-locate it with some other users, or this is required for kind of, you know, uh, like, you know, some some kind of heavy load application and we need to kind of create a new cluster group for them, right? Very so clear. this is, okay. as part of the onboarding process, we understand the requirement and that's how we kind of, you know, uh, do the capacity planning.
0: Okay, okay. so two, two questions to that then. So if I understand this correctly, each cluster group, the clusters in a group are identical, like there's like, because there's this load balancing going on. And if you have like two or three of them, they are the same performance within the cluster group. Is that correct? right.
3: Yes. And, nice.
0: and and are these clusters in the cluster group, are they dynamic or are they static? Are, like, they are then basically, if they're all identical, they are static. So there's like one coordinator and five workers of certain size, and that's it in that cluster yeah. group. Yeah, OK, yeah, yeah. OK, cool. Okay. cool.
1: Uh, I, I, uh, sorry to, to cut you off there, Mesh, but, uh, I want, I, I have that question in my head and I know that some of our users might as well. So yeah, Listeners. yeah.
4: so, so other in, important aspect, of uh, uh, what we wanted to solve with this, uh, service, was, uh, we wanted to make sure, uh, whenever, uh, some outage happens, right. We wanted to break the circuit and make sure that query is routed to one of the healthy backend in, in, the, in within this cluster.
1: Awesome. Very cool. Cool. Uh was there anything you you I I uh didn't sorry to cut you off earlier but did you uh, have anything else that you were saying before uh I didn't mean to slow your roll <laughs> No 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 that 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 was, that that was it for the, thing Okay I, yeah. perfect So so this is really interesting I mean I I really I, I we've seen there's there's been different uh specifics on the exact nature of of how different companies have have used this type of load balancing capabilities to achieve this high availability and i like i do like this interesting fact of cluster groups this is something very unique to goldman sachs that i i haven't quite seen before where uh, you have kind of this uh uh, kind of prototype uh, of a of a certain type of cluster that takes a certain type of workload uh, which that's the part I've seen in other, other places before but you're you're particularly making this group grouping a uh, a specific uh, prototype and and essentially creating multiples of these clusters so that um, you know you'll have that high availability plus uh, understanding of what workloads will be going on to that cluster group so that's that's very interesting um so t- tell us a little more about like what is this what is envoy by the way and and kind of because i think this is something that's not trino specific and a lot of people that are uh you know kind of in the trino community may not know what this is so could you kind of tell us some of the specific components of and how you achieve this query routing
4: yeah so so hope you all know so open source uh Envoy's an open source uh, agent service proxy that uh, provides uh, uh, it is designed for uh, a cloud native op- application Sure. So, so, uh, so, so Envoy gives a rich set of filters and uh, uh, a lot of features like uh, uh, rate limiting and then external authorization, and a lot of those stuff. Right. So, I mean, Envoy is widely used as a, a kind of an, a gateway in, in most of the setup. And how we are set up our kind of a setup, how how it looks like is like we have this uh, multiple setup, multiple options when it comes to uh, setting up the Envoy. So, so we the first option is to go with a static configuration right so and and there is this dynamic configuration approach so so what we are chose to go with uh, was a kind of a dynamic setup where uh, we wanted to pull all of this uh, uh, whenever a new cluster is added we wanted to get the uh, details from this uh, Hds service over here. and then uh, this Hds service is continuously listening to this uh, cluster metadata service right so uh, so if any changes happens in the cluster metadata service Basically, be always uh, be pulled onto the NY, and then we can see those changes.
1: Sorry, cut up there for just a little bit. Could you repeat the last sentence that you uh, said, Ramesh?
4: Yeah. So, so uh, when it comes to NY, right? Like, so we have multiple options, right? So uh, we can go with the static configuration, or, or we can go with the dynamic configuration as so well. The downside okay. of uh, having a static configuration is, so say in in a static configuration, what we what we do is like uh, you can define all of those uh, listener details and uh, endpoint details and uh, and and all of these details. You just have to put it in a single uh, configuration file, and then you can present this down to Envoy, and then Envoy starts serving the traffic. And
1: but these but configurations the are kind of-, of the user mappings, right? The the mappings of like let's say user one to cluster group. Uh, three, is that what these kind of configurations are, t- are talking about or, or are there other, what other configurations are we t- uh, submitting to Envoy to kind of keep track of?
4: So the ultimate uh, ultimate goal, what we wanted to achieve with a uh, kind of an, a dynamic configuration was to uh, get the dynamic, uh, I mean, the, the clusters registered at any point in time, Like, So say you want to uh, add a new cluster, so we wanted to, uh, like, uh, like Add on to uh, the cluster metadata service, which is exposed, and uh, we have a APIs around that, and we can uh, we can we can we can just post a new request onto uh, create creation of the cluster, and mm-hmm. and then then uh, there is an XDS server, right? So th- that is keep on listening to this. Right, this is the kind of an setup we can achieve where uh, where we can get uh, uh, the, uh, like. The newly added cluster will be visible
1: inside Envoy. Got it. So these are the actual configurations that like define the clusters that uh, all the different node groups and things like that. And then if you need to update those, you submit that, and then Envoy is going to take care of of essentially notifying everybody who who needs to all the different services that need to know. Hey, this will will bring up this new cluster, and it'll start executing on that. Is that basic idea?
2: Yeah, so something like uh, so, uh, like uh, th- th- this is the service through which we add a new cluster, remove a new remove a cluster, like bring down a cluster for maintenance, have a mapping between a kind of a cluster group with the child clusters, right? So yep. this is the information that that we store in in the metadata service, and that gets pushed to Envoy using the gRPC uh, service, which is the okay. control plane, and then Envoy. Uh, dynamically on runtime gets this change and then and reacts right so uh, based on those those changes it, it identifies a new cluster has come in and then i need to register right okay. so all those kind of uh, configuration uh, of adding a cluster removing a cluster uh, bringing down a cluster happens uh, through that metadata service
0: does that metadata service also understand new users or new groups coming on and then those having to go to different clusters and stuff like that?
2: Yes. Yeah. So, so, so one thing that, so there are basically three types of configuration. One is uh, the definition of a cluster group. That is one of the models Mm -hmm. cluster group to the child cluster uh, uh, mapping, and then user to cluster group mapping, right? So those are the three main kind of, you know, uh, uh, mappings that we, uh, that we have. And based on that, we can kind of, you know, um, like, you know, do do all those kind of operations. Right?
0: And all your client interactions, like from notebooks or JDBC driver apps or whatever, they always end up using the user's credentials or whatever. So then mm-hmm. Envoy knows that's the user X. And so he goes to cluster group Y. And then that's that's how that works. Do you have use yeah, cases yes. where the same user... Has to in different scenarios go to different clusters.
2: Yeah, so so we we have that, and then this is something like you know uh, what what we what we are kind of you know uh, implementing currently as we speak is uh, like you know we are we are trying to give them uh, this concept of your default cluster group mm-hmm. versus the a list of allowed cluster group, right? So if you like like. Mm. The, the way we will, we want to do it is like you know you can pass a client tag or any. I was other just going to say you can use the client tag. Yeah, right. You can you can use that use that to hint uh, the the yeah. router that uh, get me to this cluster yeah. group, right? Okay. So uh, right, and then if you don't give anything, it will again uh, put default. Uh, like you route it to the uh, your cool. your default cluster group. Okay. Another thing that I wanted to kind of add here is like you know when we talk about cluster groups, we have kind of you know three. Types of cluster groups, right? So one we have we call it as a default cluster group. One are the name cluster group. The example that we showed, like cluster group A, cluster group B, right? And then the third type is the uh, fallback cluster group. So mm-hmm. so why why we we created all these three was like say you are a new user and you are not mapped to any cluster group, right? So you will always go to our primary cluster, right? Which is the default cluster, right? So you will yeah. always land up somewhere, right? Yeah. Now. Yeah tomorrow, if I want that, okay, based on your use case, like, you know, I want you to route to somewhere else. That's when I will do that mapping and then say that, okay, your request will be routed to a certain cluster group. Right. Mm. And then the third one, the, the fallback cluster group is like, if in the whole, what do you call it? Like, you know, the whole routing, if anything goes wrong, so say we are not able to determine which cluster group you have to go to, it will always be hard coded to that. Uh, you know, fallback cluster group. Gotcha. Right. So, so, so we like so so. Those are kind of the three layers that we created ourselves to make it more resilient. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So but the, the uh, in
0: those plan. different cluster groups, in in the clusters in there, are the catalogs configured then the same?
2: Yeah. So at this point of time, like you know, uh, oh, okay. in front, looking at our use case, we have not yet. But I think like in near future, it may change. <laughs> Yeah, right. So and it always gets more them, complex. It never gets simpler. It gets more complex, right? <laughs> so gets to keep it simple from an operation perspective where we are saying that all our cluster groups kind of you know, have the same thing, it's us like you know, who, are, who are the admins can kind of you know route the traffic based on like you know uh, what is the best, right? So that was the yeah. uh, that was the idea. But right? but ultimately
0: All the different clusters end up talking to the same underlying data sources via the same queries or like the same catalog names so a query is theoretically portable from one cluster to the next and even from one cluster group to the next theoretically apart from if the load is not suitable right
2: yeah so so but but again like you know normally what we have seen when we have like you know this 10 end base and a different kind of you know this, this demarcation right what happens is uh, uh mostly like you know each group will have their own data sources right and the no, okay, other so groups work. will not have access to them right so so that's how we kind of you know uh, separate and it's working well for us at this point of time right we we, we really don't see any issues uh with, with that management right so okay, cool. uh, but but again like you know uh, as i said like you know this is a ever evolving architecture and as and when uh, new requirements hit us we will kind of have to kind of uh, uh, make changes
1: so together. i'm going to ask you a total like abstract question uh that you know may or may not have an answer yet but i'm curious you, you take in all these kind of statistics and you are restoring a lot of these kind of query histories per user and have all this information um is there any drive to kind of push towards like uh making instead of having to do that upfront like you know contract with and you uh, on the onboarding process this is going to be where you can route to, and obviously, you know, you'll, you'll have the hints, but, uh, so that, that's probably making me think you're, you are going in this direction, but, uh, are, are you ultimately, is there a North star goal to kind of head towards trying to have the system automatically kind of manage that, uh, that, that, uh, you know, where you get routed dynamically based on previous usage based on, so a user, you know, over time has been slowly ramping up their usage or slowly ramping down, you might automatically start moving them to a different uh, cluster based on their previous usage or recent usage.
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting use case, right? So yeah. uh, So when we were kind of, you know, kind of developing it, we we always had that in mind, right? So what, yeah. what we have is like the, the way uh, Ramesh explained, right? We have this router service, right? Yeah. Router service kind of is responsible for making that decision that which yeah. cluster group it has to, right? So that cluster, that that router service is, is kind of a, a component which we can kind of, you know, it needs more metadata to make that decision, right? Yeah. And yep. we can independently kind of make it uh, more kind of, you know, feed it with more metadata to make more intelligent decisions, right? Yep. Yep. So so that is definitely kind of, you know, uh, on our roadmap. And, as in when the requirement comes, we will be kind of, you know, uh, going, going that route. Right? Awesome. So, yeah. yeah.
1: That's, that's freaking cool. I, I think that that, I, I don't know if it's like that, how, how much, you know, it, it definitely takes off a, a decent amount of work for your team. But I think just the idea of just building something like that sounds like a lot of fun, you know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> uh, especially seeing it work afterwards, you're just like, oh, it made the right decision. Yes, you know? Or <laughs> so um, hopefully you don't deploy it and then everybody's getting routed to the incorrect thing. And there's like, you know, really small queries running on your giant ones and then vice versa. But uh, yeah, it's always going to be one of those things you'll have to tweak and make better, but uh, definitely a cool North Star to have. And uh, I was intrigued when she started talking about the, Different mechanisms you've added into this router—it's the the sky's the limit in terms of what you can, uh, you know, set up for something like this. So very cool. Yeah. So, so Um, one thing,
2: like you know, I think uh, I think we wanted to we want to cover right, like Ramesh, do you want to cover the, the 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 main challenge that we faced and which which Manfred kind of you know mentioned, and then how did we solve it? Because I wanted to kind of you know get to it before we forget.
4: Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, the the session affinity problem, right? So so this the, when when we started uh, with that problem, right, so it was very hard for us to find out. Say say if you have a simple API, right? It is uh, so easy where you can just come up with a stickiness a header or something like that, and then it will it will it will make sure the load balancer will make sure the queries are in, uh, sent to one of the back. But when it comes to Trino, so it, it's a little bit more challenge because of the way how the Trino JDBC, system, right? What does uh, Trino JDBC say, it's like, so the first request when a user fires the query, so the first request goes to, uh, 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 I mean, uh, it, it, it goes to be one statement and then it, uh, the coordinator really creates the query, right? So then the client, when it comes back to client, the client has to iterate over, like next URI, next URI, so on, right? Until the whole duration of the query, so this has to go to one single coordinator, right? So there is no way that this API request can be sent to some other cluster at any point. Either. So that was the real challenge. And uh, like, uh, so we tried to make use of a uh, couple of uh, things like uh, keep a note of what was the query ID and what was the backend it was previously assigned. And yeah. uh, we store that information in the distributed cache and then such that all of the other nodes in the, uh, the group is also visible. To that, right? mm-hmm. that way we, we were keeping a note of like, uh, the, say there is an user was user to a cluster ID. Uh, say there is an A1 cluster is assigned to him. So we we store this info in, information inside a kind of a hash map, uh, in a, a distributed hash map. So so when the next time the query comes, we look up with that. Say say this query ID was assigned to so and so backend, right? So say in case A1. So then we make sure that query is always sent to that particular backend, and it is never out of place. So you so when when
0: there's a result set and you have to basically page through uh-huh. with the next URI call via that metadata in the session, you can ensure that it hits the same server and it doesn't basically have to restart the class, like restart that query from the scratch and do the query plan again and that kind of stuff. Yeah.
4: No, basically, yeah. I mean, we are not trying to retry the query here. It's, it's the, yeah, yeah, no, uh, I know, the, no,
0: like, but you are like just hitting the next URI for the next batch of the results, like the last yeah, 1,000 so, records or whatever. So, so records or whatever.
4: Not, yeah, so so we don't uh, like wanted to change anything from the client's perspective. There are there are a lot of clients. Uh, earlier we have seen that we are connecting from Python, we are connecting from JDBC, ODBC, and then the multiple different versions of clients are running. So we never wanted to change anything from the client, and we want, wanted to always make this decision at the server. Side, right. Mm. So so that's when we thought like when as soon as the query hits the router service, right? So okay, query hits the NY, we have this uh, Lua filter. Right. Inside the Lua filter, we extract X hyphen you know user header, and then we identify who was the user who has fired the code. Right. So we then ask this router service, which is kind of a brain of the uh, uh, kind of like, you know, uh, the entire piece. So when we ask the router service, r- router service is having a lot of supported data, and then with the help of that, it 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 tells you, okay, this this was the this is the cluster that user has to be uh, sent to, right? so so mm. then then ny takes care of, care of the business ideally, right so we get that uh, cluster id and then we set it into the header so that uh, ny uh, ny based on the request properties it, it will send the traffic into the actual backend
1: Very cool is there uh, before we hop on to uh, pr of the week di- di- or of the month uh, did did uh, you all have anything else you wanted to kind of cover before we we jump to the next section
0: I just wanted to mention something that we observed recently when testing different uh, JDBC driver and other applications when a lot of those tools actually don't really properly treat that next URI thing and when they batch through, but instead they start the query from scratch. The Trino has to plan again, and then they just jump to the so-and-so page. So it actually makes a difference what client you use in terms of how it hits the cluster um, which is kind of interesting that it doesn't necessarily always work, and they don't have the like they don't fully understand that there is a session and you can just go next to your eye and get more more results. Instead, they start from scratch. Um, luckily, Trino's is planning is very fast, so it doesn't have too much of a negative impact. But when you look closer, it's quite interesting to to dig into that a bit. So just mm. thought I'd mention mm-hmm. that. Interesting.
1: Well, thanks, Ramesh Namita. That was a really cool overview. I'm actually really excited to see, to hear, uh, you know, as, as things progress, if, we, if you all do get to that uh, uh, that really cool uh, dynamic routing uh, uh, kind of euphoria, uh, let, let us know and, and we, should, uh, we should do a show on it at some point in the future. It's really interesting stuff. And I think it's a lot of what uh, a lot of the people in the community are trying to set up themselves too. So I think this will be a good inspiration for all of them
4: sure thanks
1: yeah i I like i
0: like this i like the idea of having multiple identical clusters that are not crazy dynamic and just suitable for the start and then ensuring the uptime of that It's, it's very very customer focused and it's very good nice
1: it is really good yeah okay well with that let's head on to the pr of the week All right, and I did a quick suturu and I brought Sedat on. Hey <laughs> guys, uh, hey, how's it going, Siddhant? How, how are you doing?
5: All good, all good.
1: Thanks for being so patient while we while we talk through uh, the uh, the architecture uh, that uh, you all have just been working so hard on getting set up. But uh, we'd like to shift focus right now and actually talk about some of the community work uh, that that you all are doing at Goldman Sachs now. And, um, you know, always just so humbled by the fact that, uh, you know, you you all uh, saw all of the capabilities that Trino had, brought a lot of these, you know, uh, these use cases that you had to the table and said, okay, you know, it, it definitely helps us when companies come to us and say, hey, there are these issues that. we're we're facing with this uh, connector. We just wanted to let the community know and, you know, they write up an issue or something like that and hope that somebody takes care of it. Um, It's a whole nother second level when, you know, the companies will bring this in and say, well, not only should we just, you know, uh, address or, or... Bring up this this problem uh, that that we're facing with uh, with using Trino, but we also need to you know maybe work on the solution and try to get that worked back in. And and I've seen this at at companies also like LinkedIn, where you know they I, I liked how they framed it, where they looked at the you know custom customizations that they're doing on Trino as kind of tech debt, and they don't want to actually have to manage this stuff long term. And so uh, so I feel like there's a very similar. Uh, spree, uh, uh, a spree de, I was about to say esprit de corps which is actually a marine corps term <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh it's a it's a, a much uh, more there's a there's another phrase that I'm trying to think of and it's not coming to my my mind right now but it's just the, the spirit of you know con- contributing back and, and getting uh, all the changes that you're making um, from the Goldman Sachs internal side, and, and getting that contributed back into the open source, and that that just helps the entire community. Uh, it helps you, and it and it's like it's just something that I just get really uh, uh, excited about. Um, and uh, so I, I wanted to say thank you for uh, and and everybody at Goldman Sachs team for allowing you to do this work and bringing it back. So uh, just wanted to say that before we jumped into uh, your PR of the month. So.
5: Awesome. Awesome. Also, like, I would like to mention, like, uh, GS is imbibing open source, like to its core, it's actually a part of a very wider deepening connection between coolman and open source that's yeah. really kicked off now. And we hope to contribute a lot back, not just to Trino, but in the open source community in general.
1: Yeah, and I'm gonna like uh, make sure that I uh, I didn't add it in the show notes yet, but uh, I am gonna take the the uh, Goldman Sachs tech blog uh, developer blog that, that you all have. I'll link that in the show notes if anybody's interested because uh, there's they're doing a lot. Uh, Goldman uh, or GS is you guys like always uh, uh, abbreviated to GS. GS is doing a lot of work uh, in open source in general, and uh, you know always interesting to to read about that. So I'll I'll link that in the show notes uh, uh, after this show show but let's talk about what this this. Uh, one change that you're kind of showing to us it's it's still an open uh has been merged yet but it's it's act, you're actively working on this now um and uh and one of these things i like is that a lot of the contributions coming from gs is is actually uh a lot on these no sequel databases and so you guys clearly are are big fans of, of mongo and Elasticsearch, uh which you know elastic search as everybody knows on the show is near dear to my heart but uh we'll talk about that one here in a second uh let's talk about mongo for, uh and and kind of you know uh when you have these, these issues of like, you know, so, so Trino is a, is a SQL query engine. So SQL uh, is, you know, is, a is a uh, it builds on relational data and it has to, it kind of has this uh, intrinsic idea that the data has to be uh, having some sort of uh very rigid schema. And, uh, and so we need to have something that we expect whenever we're running a SQL query uh, to expect that, 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 certain columns are going to be there. And, or at least, you know, uh, if they're not there in a document that, that at least it's null, but we have some expectation of, of some columns that will be there. And so, it's really interesting when you have to do this mapping between a NoSQL database and a, and a SQL query engine. Uh, and a lot of people get really tripped up on this when they first come to uh, to, to Trino. They're like, well, if you're, if you have an Elasticsearch connector, then why can I do this really crazy uh, uh, query that I do that, that does this uh, really intense uh, nested document search or something like that. And it's like, well, you have to actually like nested, Nested fields don't actually exist in, in, uh, in you know, in SQL or in relational databases, right? You have to actually flatten everything before you can even start to talk about this. But then there's other issues like where, you know, naturally, one of the big drives of NoSQL was to not have to enforce schemas, and so it's not like a, a an immediate uh, uh, part of the design for any of these databases to really push schema as a as a first class citizen. So you have to do this kind of weird finagling with with how do I represent a schema on something that doesn't have a schema? So so could you kind of talk a little bit about you know how how the MongoDB Trino connector represents that schema today and then what you're trying to do to fix that.
5: Sure, Brian. So um, as we started to uh, grow our Trino data sources, right, in the org, uh, as we started to onboard more and more different type of data sources, we soon came at a spot where we had to onboard Uh, business users with uh, use cases where we have to get their Mongo data sources onboarded because they want to start querying it through a unified manner, right? Um, But what we realized was soon is that being a common virtualization layer to different users, right, uh, you very often, as a system user running the Trino deployment, you will not get a right access onto the databases, Uh, where the client's data actually resides, right? Clients here being our business users, right? So uh, it gets really tricky here because the current uh, Trino uh, MongoDB connector, what it actually does is see it has to infer a schema as you mentioned before, right? Uh, it, It has to somehow infer a relational schema to start querying the collections in a relational manner. So what it actually does is it creates a meta collection within the same database right, where it is querying the other collections for the user. And it starts to infer the collections you're trying to query, the infer the schema for the collections you're trying to query. And it is going to start writing these inferred schemas into that meta schema collection, right? Yeah. Now, the tricky part here is you're actually creating the collection within the same database where the client's data is residing, right? So uh, as I said, being a common virtualization layer to different MongoDBs, you would not have the um, access to actually go ahead and start writing or creating collections within their database. right? So what we uh, set out to do was we wanted to isolate that layer where the Mongo connector is actually persisting this schema information and separate it out into a different database on the same cluster, which would actually not have the user's data. Right? So that is a database we could get access to. and while the original database and the collections within that database, we would only require a read access like any other connector, right? So we wanted to isolate that storage layer. Um, But I think what challenging part here was like when we built this feature, we wanted to ensure that uh, we make it backward compatible, right? So it should not be like people who are currently running their Trino clusters and they were currently querying MongoDB sources. The addition of this feature should like not hamper uh the current design or the current running versions at all yeah yeah. so 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 it's it sounds a little bit like
0: you want to like i mean this is like uh, related in a like more hive kind of thinking way but it's kind of like you want to separate the meta store from the data from the object store in in a way right like the actual data from the metadata that's the schema registry now i have a silly question around that though is that going to be another Mongo database or are you putting it in the relational database?
5: Um, currently we're putting it in another Mongo database on the same Mongo cluster.
0: Okay, mm, so you right. don't have any additional infrastructure to hold up, right. it's just transparent. That's cool.
1: I'm wondering if it makes sense too, to like, you know, if, if at some point, you know uh, one thing we do on the hive side is like, you could actually just dump it to like a file. Right. And then just use that file. Like that's the, that's the most basic, simple, simplest thing. It wouldn't be a production use case, but it would be something good to like get something up, get somebody up and running if they're just now starting to play out, play play around with the, uh, the connector. That's more of a, Internal brain note that I'm just it's, it's right like,
3: now. It's
0: like it's like in the iceberg connector where you end up having like potentially working towards having multiple meta stores, and it's yep. a plug and what do they say? They used to say in Windows a plug and pray.
1: <laughs> yeah, plug <and> pray. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Cool. Well, this is. I mean, this is huge. I I, I get. I, I don't, I'm not saying I get a lot of Mongo questions in general, but when I do, this is probably accounting for about 75% of the Mongo questions I get is particularly around this connector and it's a permission issue or it's like right. they, for some reason the database is not able to be accessed or read or some sort of reason that go, comes around this. So so this I think is going to help out a lot of people who you know are, are, are new to the connector trying to get started as well as people who just... Are ha, know know what's going on, but they just they don't have a way to work around it. So this is going right. to be great for that. So thanks thanks for uh, uh, bringing that in. And so, um, so we,
0: just before I jump off, so we asked, what's the status? I see it's currently open. Um, yeah, are yeah. You, have you just started on this, or is it all like sort of prototype level, or is it close to getting merged? I see you're working with with you and Asha and Suman, so um,
5: you're in good hands from the maintainer <laughs> side of things. That's right. Yep. So uh I feel uh, like the maintainers are doing a very good job and they are very helpful in providing very good review comments. I do have just a few uh, review comments to address and I think it will be it is it will be in very, very soon. Awesome. Well done. Every...
4: Yep.
1: Awesome. That's... Well on. thanks for uh for contributing that and, and this this episode we're gonna do something we've never done before, which is we are going to bring on yet another PR of the month week. We're
0: gonna to have to rename this segment to just something. <laughs> I'm the gonna PR just say, of the episode because yeah, the yeah. month week is just too. Confusing I'm gonna to well, I'm try.
1: gonna switch them out with episodes so that way if we ever do change the frequency of these, <laughs> we will be we'll be on on point. So, well, hello, Sumon. <laughs> Long time no talk. Hey, Brian.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, so so uh, I I I'm very well uh, um, involved. Oh, actually, I just realized I didn't, I'm not sharing my screen. Give me one second. Um, I am very uh, intimately involved with the this bonus PR of the month, uh, which uh, is is uh, covering something that uh, I I actually think I opened up one of the this one right here this uh, issue quite a while back, uh, February of 2020. Um, And this also gets back into another similar kind of like mapping some you know NoSQL database to Trino land, and it becomes really difficult, right? Um, We we have I'll I'll give a background on this just because uh, yeah, this has been something that's been bugging me for some time, but like we. In in Elasticsearch land, you you usually have like uh, indexes, and and if you can think about indexes, that's kind of the equivalent to roughly a table. Um, and each index can actually be more considered instead of like a one flat table, it could actually be considered a partition. And so uh, Elasticsearch typically has some sort of rules around when you're writing data to a a generic index uh, a kind of uh, type. Uh, you could say like a I'm storing some information about, uh, I don't know, an account or a customer or something. So you have a customer index and you would make, you know, let's say you're getting customers, not a good example of this, but let's say you have like, you know, some other type of object that's going to get inserted. And it's like, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of of objects that get inserted daily. You want to kind of partition that out. and, And pretty typically you'll, you'll have it partition by time. So you'll make, you'll cut a new index like every day or every week or something like that. And it's, it works very similarly to how you would expect like a, a high partition to work when you partition by some, some, uh, you know, column or frequency like date or something like that. And so, um, so Elasticsearch does this with indexes and they typically, as you would expect, like, you know, most of the, the schemas or the kind of, uh, the, you know, the, the way that you represent the data in, in, um, in, in each of these Elastic Church documents, you know, they're, they're typically aligned, right? You know, if you, you're you not changing too many things, but that being said, I say typically, it's a very much rule of uh, kind of like, ba- based on what you, you're you expecting to see, but it's not reality. And, and so with NoSQL, again, allows you to kind of stretch the boundaries and not have to predefine <clears throat> every aspect of the schema uh, up front. And so that's one of the benefits and yet also one of the diff- challenges that we have because we need to know that schema up front. We need to have that in order to be able to do uh, you know, better query planning and things like that. And so, um, so, so you know, could, could you talk a little bit about what the issue we initially had? I know there's actually a couple issues here. You're addressing here, but the one of the big issues uh, that we had er early on was uh, you know, Trino Trino Elasticsearch connector did a very funky thing and made a very broad assumption about you know what was actually um what 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 the uh kind of ideal state versus reality was and uh did something funky with the metadata. Suman, could you kind of cover that and then talk about what we're addressing in that in this uh PR?
6: Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for summarizing that uh issue uh brian yeah so uh we 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 currently had uh elastic for various use cases right so and many of the in-house uh, analytics platform uh relied on Prino to query this elastic search data and just like uh brian was mentioning uh there were uh, multiple indices that were mapped to a single alias so that's when we uh, started facing some uh, issues when we were trying to read data from an alias. So it wasn't working as expected. And when we dig deeper, bam, we hit this issue 2748. <laughs> that's one, we are, we are looking at it. Yeah.
3: Right?
6: So let's look at the couple of cons that actually motivated us to fix it. Right. One of them was only those fields uh, that are present in the first index were available to be read. Yeah. So that's because that was the funky assumption which Elasticsearch connector was having, wherein it assumed the first index schema was the schema of all other uh, underneath uh, underlying indices,
1: which is a That's really the... crazy assumption, right? <laughs> like it's exactly. actually kind of, but it, it it works for a lot of you use have cases. To start somewhere, right? Exactly. Yeah, it works for a lot yeah. of use cases if if your your schema is not changing <clears> that much and you're not actively querying on those fields that that do have that like uh, that maybe changing nature. So.
6: So that, that was the uh, existing uh, solution that was proposed in Elasticsearch Connector. But that was also a con which motivated us to fix it. Yeah. There was one more con. So what if a field undergoes a schema uh, evolution? Like an index will have a field with string as a data, write, but in a, a different index, it might be a Boolean or an integer. Mm. So we, we kind of have to uh, handle that as well. Right? So these yep. are the two cons which motivated us to fix this, take it up uh, and we, we wanted to uh, work around uh, on this issue to actually uh, get it working uh, within GS.
1: Yeah. Yeah, right. and yeah. we 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 also uh, you know, and I'll, I'll merge in on this, but we have quite a few ways to do some of the the controls on these. But yeah, th- finished talking about the uh, the setup, <laughs> and then I wanted to zoom in on some of these uh, these capabilities that we're going to be uh, these these um, uh, properties that we're going to be adding as part of this PR.
6: Okay, sure. So let's look at the uh, design or the proposed solution, the approach we took to solve this. Then we can come back to the configs. Sure. Yeah. So the proposed solution was to merge the mappings of all the child indices to actually govern the schema of an alias. That's the whole intent of this particular uh, ticket. So the first thing is you have to union all the fields from all the child indices. So not just consider the first uh, index schema as the schema of an alias, instead union all the schemas of all the indices and consider it as a, a schema of an alias. Mm-hmm. That's the first logic. And the second logic kicks in, the moment you say union, there can be data type mismatches. So how mm-hmm. are we gonna handle data type mismatches? right? There are two ways of handling data type mismatches. So the first one, what we took was merge smarter. Whenever there are uh, data type mismatches between similar data types like short and an integer, short, integer, and a long. We always went with a wider data type to govern the schema of that particular field. Yeah. To, right? Like when, when you want to uh, read a field with short and integer, integer would uh, suffice uh, both. So yeah. we, we assumed and we, we took that solution of merging it smarter that, OK, you take the wider data type, assume that as a data type of the alias for that particular field. Now, what if the data type mismatches are completely uh, in two different uh, blocks? Like one is a double, the other one is an integer. One is an object, the other one is a simple data type. So
3: mm-hmm. in
6: those cases, you fall back and you cast it as a JSON. Yeah. Yeah. connector already had as raw JSON facility. So we leverage the same and we casted such fields as JSON.
1: Yeah. So in that these case, you you functions. if you have like a field that gets returned, let's say one one is an object, like you said, and the other is like yeah. an integer in this same field. Yeah. How do you how do you handle that? And that's actually <laughs> going to now be returned as a JSON string, and yes. it's kind of up to you to kind of maybe do some processing if you know. Oh, I kind of know what to expect these fields to be like essentially, and yep. that will basically make it where Trino is going to be able to return that not cause some sort of error or exception, but it'll still be able to return you something and it's just going to be a string in JSON format.
6: That's right.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, I have the I have the naive question from the relational database guy here. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So so how or oh, is there some sort of solution to deal with things where you change the field name, so to speak, right? Like rather than changing the data type of an existing field, you change the, the field name. Like you change from date of birth to dob or whatever right like how is there some sort of way to map that sort of evolution as well or is that just something that the data is just messed up and you have to take both and in your union approach both fields will show up and you have to just account for that the latter (laughs) the latter yeah
6: so okay uh, well fair enough i mean that's yeah yeah go ahead go ahead
0: yeah, no, I mean that's fair enough, right? Like ultimately, potentially, you have to just go back and fix the old data, right? Like and make it consistent again, right? That that's what you yeah. would have to do in the relational world. And is that something you do in the exactly. Elasticsearch world as well?
6: No, it's it's the same uh, solution here as well. So you have okay. got two cool. fields. You have to go back and revisit.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so that in that, in those particular cases too, that's usually like somebody. That, that's usually like two teams are working on the same data type and they just need more alignment about which one they're actually using. Uh, we, we've we had those come up. And, and that's, again, where the thing I like about Elasticsearch is that you can start to enforce schema. So we did a lot of, like, prototyping in one field and everything else was very strict. So it's like you were dealing with a good chunk of fields that were, were guaranteed. And, and you then have, had like, this... an agreed subset. Yeah,
0: that's good. Cool. Yep.
1: And then, and then you would basically over time, uh, have the collective get together and say, we're promoting such and such field to this field. Everybody start using that. And that's, that's typically the kind of workflow that you'll do in these NoSQL databases. You'll, you'll want to have a, a subset that is, uh, you know, an agreed upon, uh, set of, uh, fields that everybody uses. And then you'll have, you know, no man's land, which is this <laughs> bag of, bag of properties that could go crazy haywire at any point. That's cool. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's that sounds like a good compromise. I think that's good. Cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. Cool. So so could you tell us a little, Suman, tell us a little bit now that you know we we we're gonna do some merging, like could you tell us just a little bit about what some of these properties are gonna be helping when, when we do get this feature landed, you know, if they want to start taking advantage of of being able to merge this stuff in, uh, you know, how, how do I uh kind of set, <coughs> set up some of the stuff uh set set some of the stuff up to ha- to handle these issues for me? And what's the defaults?
6: OK, so the first property is to uh, merge alias index mappings. So to keep the backward compatibility, uh, we introduce this property to ensure that we will always go with the first schema mm-hmm. if this property is set to false, so that it's backward compatible. So by default, it's always set to true, so that you are going to go, uh, go away from the legacy approach and take the new existing solution. Mm-hmm for any backward compatibility uh, catalogs you you fall back with this uh, property set to false Yep. that's 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 the intent of this and yep uh, when when we uh, came up with this uh, approach there was a challenge where what if the number of indices is huge something like 500 plus yeah under an alias so how do we uh, come up with a solution where we can limit the number of indices that uh, is responsible for merging because merging 500 indices will definitely cause a latency issue yep. so yeah. we introduce a property uh, to govern that the number of indices for an alias schema so we can we can provide a maximum number of uh, indices that has to be uh, used uh, to govern the schema of an alias if we breach that limit the fairy, uh, we 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 fail the query
3: yeah
6: which means we, we are not bound to go more than this so you you have to retweak your config to actually consider it right yep yeah yep. yeah so let's go back to the next one so what if we want to uh, identify the fields that are actually leading to mismatch so you you, you instead of doing a automatic merging you want to fail whenever there is a data type mismatch for any field mm-hmm. so we came up with this property that decides whether to fail the entire query with a appropriate error message whenever there is a data type mismatch, yep. it defaults to uh, true. You can set it to false to actually fail the query whenever there is a mismatch. Whenever it's true, we always go back to our uh, sol- like uh, uh, current solution of merging data uh, JSON or merging smarter. Yep. Right now, with all these uh, features in place, we'll we'll will we'll be going into another problem statement wherein. What if I had to make multiple queries to the same alias within a short amount of time, like within let's say five minutes, and my alias is uh, having uh, close to 150 or 200 uh, indices underneath it. Now, is it good uh, business logic to actually keep merging uh, every uh, now and then every minute whenever somebody looks for a schema? It's it's not a right uh, approach. So we wanted to introduce a caching layer in between so that the merging is not gonna happen very frequently Instead, we are going to rely on the cache, right? So for the yep. subsequent queries. Yeah, so every time, you hit
1: every time you hit a particular index, you do that merge one time. And then after yeah. that, you're, you're, ca- you're hitting the cache uh, there- yeah. thereafter. You're hitting yeah. the
6: cache, yeah. 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 So, as really long cool. as the cache is alive, uh, you're going to be searched from cache. So that yeah. uh, cache properties are available with both TTL and the maximum entries.
1: Yep. Awesome. Yeah. This is so cool. Yeah. I, I, I can't I, wait yeah. for this to get landed.
6: <laughs> yeah. And w- where is
0: that cash? Is that in Trino or
1: it's in Trino? Yeah.
6: It's in Trino. Yes.
1: Yeah. This is so cool. Yeah. I, I, this, we, so, uh, so I've, I've already, uh, you know, Looked through this. I think it looks at a good, we're at a good point now. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll be, uh, I think, I think you are currently waiting on us right now, right? Suman. So we'll be, yeah. we'll be taking, I'll be working with, uh, um pro Protham and, and, and Ashar to to see if we can get this looked at. We really, you know, getting this landed will be huge for anybody using Elasticsearch. Um I get these questions all the time for for again, I'm not a Elasticsearch not is not one of our heaviest use cases, but when I do get an Elasticsearch one, this is one of the biggest ones. And so once we get this landed, oh man, it's going to take away so many just automatic errors and it's going to just make make life simpler for a lot of engineers. So of uh, engineers. yeah. So, uh, so thanks for, for working on this. Uh, I'm, I'm super, super, uh, excited for, for all of these, b- both this and, the. um, by the way, I'll, I'll pull up uh, a again. So thank you both for, yep. for, you know, contributing your time and, and, uh, also to GS in general to, uh, you know, giving us some of the, uh, you know, these wonderful features that we've, we've needed and, and, you know, you're all stepping up to the plate to, uh, to get those delivered. So, uh, so can't thank you enough. So
6: thanks. Thanks, Brian. Okay. thanks for all the, uh, review comments uh, from the con- contributors and the committers. And awesome. I also want to take this opportunity to share that all the PRs, all the work uh, we have been doing is actually part of a wider initiative that GS has for contributing and collaborating with a lot more open source projects.
1: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so great to see what you all are doing. Um, okay, so with that, um, let's go on to the demo of the week. Okay, I'm going to get us down to here. Oh, I, I removed Manfred. <laughs> That's okay.
0: What are you going to show us today, Matt Brian?
1: Uh, I am going to uh, scurry around for a little bit. So I have been working on a little bit of this uh, project here called uh, Trino Fiddle. Um, for those of you that may be familiar, there's this, uh, uh, if you've, uh, uh-oh, SQL Fiddle is down. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, That's the same this- effect. Yeah, exactly. There's. Uh, I'll go off of, uh, one of what SQL Fiddle's uh, motivation came from, though. Originally, when you know you're you're sitting on Stack Overflow and you're trying to you know get a question answered, uh, particularly in JS, uh, you know they they had these uh, really cool tools that that came out of uh, you know trying to be able to. Provide a very concise answer and actually give you some playground to actually run uh, your uh, your changes in. So let me see if actually I can find. I know that I had like one of these.
0: Uh, yeah, they're uh, all browser based, right? So you just uh, muck around yeah. the browser. No, nothing to set up on your machine and anything. So
1: exactly. So everything is pulled in in, in the browser. Uh, nothing on your own machine, and then you basically get this, uh, you know, this uh, capability to see. Oh, if I run this code, here's the the outcome. And so SQL Fiddle. Uh, so this originally was done in. In JavaScript and you know kind of web-based uh, uh, tools, um, but then you know there. I think there's actually something called. Uh, let me see, fiddle.io, I think there's some sort of. Uh, maybe that's not. Oh no, that's a whole wrong thing. But there's if you look up uh, different fiddles, there's like uh, different types of fiddles that that are all out there, right? So like you can do it with Go, you can do it with like, and everything is you know literally just like IDEs in your browser. So I wanted to basically get the same setup. Uh, And in SQL Fiddle, you can use multiple dialects, right? You can use Postgres, you can use MySQL, you can use all all these different dialects. And what they do is they actually run like a local Docker image in the background uh, so that you can actually run it against a real like running version of, of that dialect. So we essentially wanted to do the same thing, uh, with, with, uh, Trino fiddle. Um, it's, it's not ready. So I, this is you'll see this running on localhost. It's not, uh, ready for, for kind of a GA public usage yet, but, uh, but I wanted to kind of show, uh, the basic idea. So on your left panel, you have your kind of DDL, uh, and, and DML, uh, or, or in, inserting the data kind of part of the language. So you can actually click uh, set, uh, view sample fiddle. And this might take a second because on the back end, this, oh, no, it didn't take a second because I'm guessing somebody else is using it. But on the back end, this uses uh, the, the Starburst product Galaxy. Uh, and so it actually has a timeout where if nobody queries it, it actually shuts down uh, temporarily. So, uh, so whenever I uh, whenever I run this, or when I was running this when I was just me, uh, you know, it would every if I wasn't running it every hour, uh, then then it would take a long time for the the cluster to start back up. But then, uh, not a long long time, by the way, but uh, decently. You know, obviously, it takes more than just like a quick click. So this is actually pulling data out of our um, our sample data sets that come by default in Galaxy. And uh, and then we just basically make a copy there. Um, and then you can actually, you know, so that, that sets up the uh, the DML or the, sorry, the uh, DDL side of things and actually creates, you know, a, a real data set here. And then we can actually run queries against that data set on this uh, panel. And then, you know, it actually, you know, executes there. And you can, now I haven't, prettied this up but this is the query plan output and then i just gotta w- basically work on getting the yeah, <laughs> the, the output fixed. there yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah so it's it's baby steps but i wanted to basically get the the basic idea of, of, of how this will be set up um and so i actually have uh, another one so it's it's you don't just have to use uh pre-created data the real power of this comes in uh actually running this with uh these like you know these these schema of your own. So let's say there was a question on Stack Overflow on Trino that you wanted to solve, and it has some you know data data uh, types here, and it has a table, and then you wanted to insert some you know dummy data based on what the user or based on what the question asker had said. You can now build that schema. Uh, this has the old query, so you just want to get rid of that, and then we'll pull in the a query uh, on this docs data. Let me pull that in and actually run this, uh, both of these. So it's actually two queries. So it's, uh, you know, separated by these little, um, by the uh, uh, semicolon here. So you run that, and it'll actually run both the output of both of these queries. And again, giving you the garbled execution plans. But, uh, so that's the basic idea. And what's cool about this is like now you can actually take this, uh, you know, once there, we have a public uh, version of this out, you'll be actually able to take this link and then share it, on stack Overflow or share it with a friend uh, and and then just kind of you know or just you yourself quickly prototype uh, some some sequel queries uh, going on in, in trino so so I I was pretty excited about uh, you know this this uh, um, this tool and I just wanted to you know basically show it off for a little bit and and uh, you know get people's thoughts about it and uh, hopefully I'll have this uh, you know a, a much more prettier version of uh, query plan output and some of the bugs uh, work through so that we can share this with the larger community. So, uh, so that was the, the basic demo, uh, and hopefully I'll, I'll have more for you in, uh, in a couple months, but, um, with a lack of time, let's, uh, quickly, oh, I got a quick comment. Uh, oh, (laughs) hello, Ashik. (laughs) We just got the, (laughs) how are you doing? Uh, thanks for joining the broadcast today and sticking with us to the end. Um, okay. So with that, let's move on to the question of the week. question of the month every time <laughs> question of the episode we'll get it. We'll, well that's a good uh, uh, suggestion so um so let's pull up the question of the month this one is coming on trino forum from uh and let me make sure i get his name, uh yeah his real name he, he signed his real name here actually i think hold on oh yeah mahabub sayed so um the question is: uh, Does the Hive connector support Carbon Data as the data format? So, I actually never heard of Carbon Data uh, before I, I saw this question. Um, and I so, I've bit of
0: carbon dating, but that's different.
1: <laughs> carbon dating? What is that?
0: Well, how you how old you determine how something is based on the carbon oh, content? I, I
1: right thought it was a new. I thought no, there was no, a new no, app.
0: Not that kind of dating. I, 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 I thought
1: I, I thought I thought there was like a new uh, like a, a new alternative to uh, what's the What's the 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 app that all the youngins are using to to meet each other these I days? I would not know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so anyways, Apache Carbon Data is a, a open source project, and it's basically uh, it looks like it's an alternative format to something like ORC actually, or or Parquet. Uh, Could be totally wrong about this, but it's saying a fi- it's saying it's a file format. So I imagine that that's what it's uh, doing. Um, and so uh, so basically, uh, they're asking if there's a connector for this. So I did a little bit of digging. And I found out that the Carbon Data um, Car- Carbon Data project itself actually has a uh, a well what they call a Presto connector. And so obviously my quick question was well which Presto? So I jumped into that. Uh, let me go back to this. I jumped into that and uh, let me pull this PR up. So if I look at actually if I look at Carbon Data and I go to their their Palm and I look. Presto! I see that we are using version. Oh, where is it? I swear it was here. It was like three 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 or something. Oh yeah, here we go. Presto version three three three. Therefore, it but is actually, actually Trino. Dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, we're they're using Trino here, um, but they it looks and then I found I, I then was like, well. Probably there's a pull request that maybe has somebody asking about Trino or at least an issue, and sure enough, uh, somebody in the community back in last August uh, already uh, did did some changes here to uh, to try to support Carbon Data on Trino. So you can, I, I've linked this in the uh, in here. So if you are using Carbon Data, somebody's working on this. It looks like it kind of uh, fizzled out for now. Um, and there's all this talk chatter back and forth. And I think they got kind of stuck. Uh, this was some of the feedback here. Um, and, and then it kind of fizzled out at, at, a, uh, you know, a couple of days after the initial opening. So I'd be interested, you know, if, if you're this user, uh, CZY 006, <laughs> uh, we, reach out to us, we'd like to help you out. Or if you are interested in, you know, kind of pulling forward with uh, this kind of uh, uh, change and you're using Carbon Data, uh, we'd be, I'd be really happy to, to try to help you out and, and get you in, co- in contact with uh, some of the maintainers at Carbon Data and see if we can just get a discussion going. Um, so. The the question is uh, if you if you are so motivated to actually get this working you could probably pull that version that 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 user put out uh, you know it's only six months old and probably it's I think it's on uh, version three fifty eight is is uh, what I saw in the PR so you could probably just quickly update the version and I imagine that there's probably not too much to change on that end so uh, so try to pull that down and then compile it and then boom you can use carbon data that is the current option but uh you know long running i would love it if somebody would you know want to look into this or if you use carbon data and want to use it with uh, trino here's your kind of option and and we can do uh our our part in helping you uh contribute this so, If it's
0: really only a file format well only whatever that means yeah, right right, like, right. <laughs> then then the idea would probably be to just implement a reader slash writer. So how we have the parquet reader and the org reader and writer, if you add a separate reader and then it could potentially be used in the Hive connector.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's totally. a
0: guess, but that might be something.
1: Yeah. So, but yeah, anyways, definitely
0: reach out to us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm hoping, so this is, I, this was kind of a, a multifaceted uh, uh, goal here was to, you know, talk about the question of the week and, and what the, the, con- kind of half answer is right now, and then try to put it out to the community, say, hey, if you're using carbon data, here's your option to, to yeah, contribute right. to the community. Uh, so let's see. Uh, oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Rose, for uh, always being there to remind me when I, I made a, a boo-boo on <laughs> the P- PR of the month. I need a, we'll go with episode now. I'm gonna try yeah, to think it get might those be worth it. <laughs> One day I'll get those episodes. We really, really need a demo on how to connect to Trino using a library. Lento Presto and the documentation. Nothing is mentioned about how to authenticate. Well, Ashik, I will do my best to getting a tutorial set up. And then we'll see about, uh, you know, I'll talk with Manfred to see if we can uh, get something. I don't know if we at some point, you know. I honestly don't know
0: what he means, connect to Trino using a library.
1: Yeah, I'm guessing it's probably saying, like, how do I, like, from Java or something like that, or from like another, uh, like a client. Yeah, but library that's like that, from
0: client, that's a JDBC driver. We have the yeah. new Python client and the, those. So all of those are documented. So it's probably just a more detailed question on what he's looking for. But. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think, I think what would be really good is if we did have like a, a bit of a tutorial there. And that's, that could be something that we put together as kind of a, you know, uh, how to run, let's say, how to connect uh trino through like jdbc Spark or spring jdbc or something like that you could use a tool like that and that and then once you've done it with one jdbc tool it's pretty pretty straightforward i mean some jdbc tools vary widely on yeah. how you set things and stuff but it should be pretty straightforward to kind of uh, uh kind of pull out from from uh that so anyways um uh, I I think we're getting close to a a time here, so I wanted to uh, really quickly say again to all of our guests who meet, uh, Ramesh, Suman, Sudans. Thank you so much for all the work that you've done uh, for for the show uh, in the community and uh, what you all continue to do day to day. Uh, Really excited to see what you all have going on at Goldman Sachs, and uh, thanks again for joining us. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we, we hop off today?
2: uh thank you brian like for uh, having us here it was really like we enjoyed uh, the show right thanks uh, again for having us
1: here absolute pleasure pleasure's mine all right well great uh we'll be putting a couple links into the show about like where to find more uh resources and information about uh goldman sachs and uh, amazing work that they're doing and uh uh we'll obviously be here next month oh one quick thing i wanted to mention um i'm gonna be uh on leave uh, in a, for the next couple months. And that means Manfred here is going to be running the show. So, um, uh, I'll, I'll find co-conspirators
0: that help me. Yeah,
1: exactly. I actually think we we have uh, somebody who uh, who who just joined uh, uh, in the yeah, Rose uh, might help.
0: Costas might help. There's other yep. people around. Yeah. I might I might pull at some developers or whatever. I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll manage something. Worst case, we'll have short episode where we just talk about the releases. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's the
1: very worst. Uh, so so I'll be gone for you know the next two months. Uh, I have a a little one coming on the way, and uh, I'll be back whenever. Hopefully not with huge bags under my eyes, but <laughs> uh,
0: I'm sure you look springy and young still. Um, <laughs> that's
1: right. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, uh, thanks to all of our guests. Thanks to everybody who was uh, tuning in today and we'll see you all in a month. Music for the show is from the Mega Man six gameplay album by stuff. Don't forget to give us a star on the Trino repository at github.com forward slash Trino forward slash Trino. And for more information on future shows and to find show notes check out trino.io forward slash broadcast.